you need turnover. It's a weird thing to say, but you need turnover. And you need a, not only you need to plan for it, you, it needs to happen because it's hard to keep a healthy practice unless if, now you don't want a lot, but you need some mm -hmm. because people will reach a season where it's no longer a fit. Hey there, I'm Chris McDonald. And if you don't know me yet, I'm host of the Holistic Counseling Podcast which is for therapists who want to deepen their knowledge of holistic modalities and build their practice with confidence. The Holistic Counseling Podcast is proudly part of the Sightcraft Podcast Network, a network of podcasts focused on helping people live more meaningful and productive lives. Join me each week as we explore the best practices for integrating holistic approaches into therapy and delve into the many benefits. Whether you're looking for new techniques or seeking to deepen your own personal journey towards wellness, this podcast is the perfect companion for your holistic path. If you haven't listened yet, you can find it over at holisticcounselingpodcast.com and discover other resources, including products, books, and other trainings to help support you in your holistic journey. Hello and welcome to the Scaling Therapy Practice. This is James Marland with Dr. David Hall. Hello, David. Hey, James. This week, we're going to be talking about turnover and staff retention. Very exciting uh, <laughs> episode, something that we both had some experience with. I'm really excited to get into that topic. But first, let's talk about our tool, tap, tip, or tech of the week. I got to like, that's a tongue twister. I might yeah. need to revise that, but dual <laughs> tip tech of the week. David, what do you got? So I'm not going to do a shout out of a particular brand, but um, because I've, I've had used a few, I have some people that use different few, uh, ones of these, but um, a computer stand or a camera stand, depending on how you set it up mm -hmm. for your video conversations. So, I think a lot of us learned this at the beginning of COVID. You know, for me, definitely, I, I had not done a lot of video thing before COVID. I, I had started doing um, webinars and recording online courses, I guess, in the year before. But, and I, I think I started using this. But so for me, like, it's a raised platform for my computer. Because what people learn is that oftentimes people will be on their, their webcam on their computer. And it's angled up at them. And so yeah. it's a lot of like nose hair and chin. <laughs> and it just, it's not a great look for anybody that I'm aware of. And the, the nose hair chin look. No, yeah. The nose hair chin look. It's just, it's yeah. a lot of, and so what, <laughs> what it looks like for me is I, you know, I've got some, it's a platform that's angled. So it's up mm -hmm. and kind of down. And part of it is, is it kind of obliges me to kind of, tilt my head up and I look, I'm looking at an upward mm -hmm. angle and you experiment with different things. Like initially for me, it was just this idea I've created a pile of books and just, if you can raise it a little bit, I've done even that. if you're just looking, looking straight on, but particularly if you're doing a lot of stuff online, whether it's video sessions or, you know, because I, I still experience with clients, uh, particularly the younger clients, they'll be on their phones for a, a telesession. And it's a lot of like, it's all over the place. And it, it just think about how you want to appear. Not that that's the end all be all, but it doesn't matter. And particularly for those of you who are considering like the online presentation course stuff, think about like the look does matter. It's not everything, but it matters. You know, James has talked about, you know, managing stuff with sound and background and you think of different things and, and, and some of it's preference, like for, I know some people the for the background thing in zoom, like people will do the fake background. Oh yeah. I personally Same don't like that. And, yeah. yeah. It's the, it's the, it's fine if that's what you do. I know people do, but, um, it's, I just think it looks odd. And so I, I think it's just better to kind of set up your background, particularly if you're recording a lot. So anyway, that's my tip, I guess. Cool. Great tip. Uh, my, my tip. Uh, is a program that I discovered after talking with a couple people who said, you know, and document your document your standard operating procedures. So I looked up a program and it's called Scribe How, and I'll have a link in the show notes. But I've used it a few times now. I'm still learning it, 
but I, somebody asked me, how do I log into Google keywords? And I, I was thinking about recording a video, but then I turned on this scribe how, and it, it recorded my clicks. Like it's it, when I clicked into, when I hit login, it showed a picture in the instructions of where the, where the button was and where my mouse was. And it highlighted the mouse with like a flashing button. Then I went into the next thing, like, uh, click here to get to the, the, where the keywords are. And it showed that. And then I said, click here to type in your keywords. And it showed a picture of that. And I could rename the steps every step of the way. And so in like, it told me how long it took me to create it. it took two minutes, <laughs> it took two minutes to create this standard operating procedure that I can share embed share a link uh and do you know reuse it for my own needs so um cool if you're if you're struggling to share some things or even if you don't have a va or a virtual assistant yet or you don't have anybody who you're teaching um it's good to start recording some of those processes so that when it's time for you to offload them it's already there and it's less of a burden. So uh I'm a I'm a big fan right now of Scribe How. I'm on the free plan. I don't I don't know all the limitations of the free plan, but for what I used it for, it was it was quite amazing. Mm. Well, we talk about free things. Sometimes it's not worth it, but I'm amazed with how much value. Like I use one of my main organizational tools is uh well, I'll I'll make this a we'll tip see. later. We'll save it later, but but we'll I want to go with Trello. Episode. I use Trello, Trello, but I use the free. Yep. I use the free version. I'll talk about it. Yeah, you know, I'll have that as a tip in a future episode. Anyway, yeah, Trello's great. All right, so we're going to start our topic uh, this week, which is turnover, or maybe scaling interrupted, and how do you manage turnover in your business uh, when people decide to leave. Mm. Uh, so, so David, uh, you have a practice of over 10 therapists and you probably hire and you've been going on for what, eight years, 10 years in different versions, not quite different that version. long, uh, different versions of it. Uh, the current iteration has been going on at the time of recording for about five years, five years. Okay. So yeah. you, your group practice and you've hired and had some turnover. Yes. And let's just start there. What's been your history of turnover? Um, you know, just talking about it for my counseling practice, uh, and and because I think that's where I've I've kind of felt it the most. Uh, I had in in previous episodes I've talked about I I had a psychiatry practice, um, and we had different sort of staff. We had admin and um, psychiatric providers, and and there was turnover there for different reasons. People would move or things like that. But the um, uh, for my counseling practice. I managed it a while without turnover. Uh, we started the counseling practice in the iteration that it is now, more or less, in 2018. And it was at myself and an initial two other therapists. And then it we grew to, over the next two years, to, I think we, we hit over 10 within that time. So we more than doubled, more than tripled within that time without anybody leaving. And it was just an addition process. And then we went into COVID hmm. and uh, for the first few months, it no interruption, all that. And then within a few weeks in the fall of 2020, I had two people quit on me unexpectedly. And that was a hard process for me. Uh, it was- what, what made it hard? Uh, for one, it, it interrupted my plan, my scaling plan, because I had a plan to grow the practice of a certain size, and I was just looking to add people. And yeah, when, what, what's going on? Yeah, what is this people leaving thing? I'm yeah, just, and it, it it interrupted my plan. I didn't had not, and uh, and I didn't want it to happen. Uh, the the one person quit. The first person that quit. It didn't represent a huge thing financially. Uh, they were pretty new with the practice. And they didn't have much of a caseload at that point. And that was, and 
they had identified that it wasn't a really good fit for them. They felt uh, that was difficult because they were easier at the beginning when they first said they were leaving. Um, Their exit interview process was not pleasant. And part of it was, is for those Seinfeld fans, if you're familiar with the Seinfeld holiday festivus, which is kind of the airing of the grievances. And I, I felt like there were lots of things that were unarticulated until the door was closing. And then, so I felt like somebody was leaving and kind of throwing hand grenades behind them as they went. Stuff that I, I felt was hurtful, even just kind of a non-businessy sort of way, stuff that was hurtful and not necessarily fair, but that's my own perspective and kind of whatever. Uh, and so that was hard because it was, it felt personal. And the, the other person that left was unexpected because I, this was somebody who I, I felt closer to and felt more kind of a, a kindred relationship. Uh, I had a more ongoing relationship with this person and looking back, I'm not surprised. Um, and part of it was that this person clearly was ambitious to want to start their own thing. And that's what they ended up going to do was start their own thing. And I, I was surprised in the timing. I thought that this was the sort of thing this person might want to do in a year or two, but, I was wrong. So, and the the other thing, one of the things, um, like your timetable was messed up. But one of the things I've I've felt when you when you said it felt personal, I've like, ugh, yeah. I felt that too when people leave, and I feel like I've done my best to take care of them and to just even some sacrifices, and then, you know, they they leave. Mm-hmm. With without much notice or consideration for what happens behind, so mm-hmm. that's the manager side of things. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's the 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 employee side of things for that. But as the manager, as the people who are responsible for this, I th- I think some of the f- the feelings in there and taking it personal make it much harder than just oh it's you know a, they're making a business decision to to leave. Mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes too it wasn't always a business decision. Sometimes it was just like, I don't, I don't, for them, it was, it would be like, well, I don't like this or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, you know, when in the context of that, I was really bothered and had to take some time to process. Fortunately, I had some good mentoring in that. And one of the things that it helped me recalibrate was basically how to plan for it. And because at that point, I did not have a plan for turnover. Turnover. My thought was, is every hire I make is going to be a great fit. And everyone is going to be happy and want to stay forever. And that's my plan for growth and scaling. Is that I just keep on going. And, I've been there. I've yeah. been there. And it was. it took some of this interruption to realize, like, that is not a good plan. It's not a sustainable plan. It's not a realistic plan. But more mm. than that, it's just not good. So before people left, did you have a plan for for that? Like, no, had, not really. No, no. It was it was the. I just thought like I'll I'll you know I want to make this such a great practice to work that people don't want to yeah. leave. Yeah, they'll stay and, forever. Well, and one of the things you you said, James, uh, in a previous episode that I've thought because I've had some interviews I've done recently, and and it was a it was a mindset change for me was this idea of when you interview people, you've got to look for reasons not to hire them. Absolutely. And for me, I usually go in in the hired until proven not hired in the interview process. Like it is, I'm inclined to think that you're going to be a great fit. And I'm looking for that to be a fulfilled expectation. Yep. Self-fulfilling. Yep. And I look back now and that, there were certain things that I, I could have seen differently in different people that would have affected their long-term fit. And, you know, I, when you want to scale, it, it's the, you know, in a, in a group practice, this is the idea of okay, the more the merrier, kind of bring them in. And depending on what sort of practice you have, depending on your expectations, that can work more easily than, than others. But, you know, it was, For me, fit really matters. And I am both (laughs) I've I've from feedback, this is what I've learned. Uh my style of leadership 
is either goes from the continuum to like awesome to horrible, depending on who you are to a lot of degree. <laughs> not, not that I don't have certain objective faults or even uh, virtues that, that are fairly objective across the board, but there are lots of things in my style that certain people will do a lot better with. And part of my job is how to make sure that anyone that's coming on board, I'm not doing a disservice to by right. putting them in a situation right. where they're not going to thrive. What I, what I, uh, how I kind of interpret this in my head is if I see red flags in the interview process, I don't make excuses for them. Mm -hmm. And as you're, as you're talking about your, your hiring process for, you know, you could, you know, who's going to fit in your practice, but you might see something that's a red flag and you say, well, I'm a good manager or I have the process. I can overcome this. Uh, or, well, I know it'll take extra training, but we can go through it. And, um, the, here's here's one of the the big secrets of looking for reasons to say no. If you hire the wrong person, uh, well, if you if you pass on the right person, so that's an outcome of an interview. If you pass on the right person, and and a few months later, a few years later, you figure, you see that they're an awesome employee and they're a rock star, and you missed on a good employee, you have the pain of regret, like. Mm -hmm. It's you, it's there, but it's not, uh, it's not as bad as the pain of hiring a problem employee. Mm. Like the other outcome, let's say the other way is you hire somebody who's not a fit. And then you have a year of day, like daily eating the cake that you made, that you made it with ash. You know? <laughs> There's a book manager tools that says you bake your own cake. And mm -hmm. you, you choose your own ingredients. And if you say yes to the wrong person, instead of feeling regret, you're eating uh, the terrible cake that you made day after mm -hmm. day after day. So anyways. Which is worse. Yeah, it's like, much is, worse than regret. Yeah. I've had, in, in looking at, for me, it's also a, another thing to consider is where people are in their developmental journey. And I'll give an example of this from the, I used to work as a, as a food server in, in a restaurant mm -hmm. as a, as a, and I was, I mean, I did that in my early twenties, uh, when I was in college, beginning of grad school. And I noticed something then as I'm like 22, 23, working in that setting, that there were only two sorts of people in it that I found people similar to me who were younger and this was what they were doing while they were preparing for a different career. And then those who were kind of the lifers that they were in their thirties, forties, mm -hmm. and, and it was a different sort of person. And I realized that, um, and, and there were, there were people who su were successful and unsuccessful in both categories. But I remember one of my coworkers who he was like in his early mid thirties at the time, which at the time felt super old to me. And I'll tell you my early forties now doesn't feel that old, but he still worked as a, as a server and probably still doing that. And it, it wasn't that he didn't make a good living at it. I, I know, you know, we would share shifts and, you know, I made good money doing that at the places I worked. It took me a while as a, as a therapist to match it. I didn't match it, what I was making as a server, uh, as a therapist for the first year or two. Mm. And, but his, his, um, his life was kind of calibrated differently than where I was on a trajectory leading my life. Like he, he wasn't the sort of person to pick up a shift because he didn't, you know, he didn't, work as a server long-term to take on all this extra responsibility. You know, for him, the appeal was he liked, he liked the flexibility and the freedom. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I, I, I bring this up as an example is because you might be the, a great fit as a place of work or as an employer for somebody in a certain phase in their journey as a professional, but not long-term. And I've, I've really believe in this idea of seasons, uh, for myself and for others. And to try to hold on to somebody past the right season. 
Because I've had, since the first turnover, I've had lots of different turnover. And some of it is it's people, some of it is just as simple as somebody moves. Though it's funny, like the the one staff member I had that actually moved far away didn't quit, or at least hasn't so far. They're now just working remote mm. full time and, and because they fit and, and we fit for them even when they moved away. But so that that leads me to to ask, you know, what are the what are some of the big things to think about for your plan for turnover? Like it's going to happen because mm -hmm. people are at different stages. Things grow. People move. Things happen. Um, we try to mitigate it, of course. But what what is some of the big points of a plan? for managing turnover? Uh, some of it is policy in your employment agreement or contract. And and uh, the disclaimer that James and I often have, we are not attorneys. And so this is, but I can speak anecdotally as a business sure. owner where I am. So Tennessee, where I am, is a right to work state. And so it's really hard to put in and to enforce uh, non-compete sorts of things mm. uh and so i i try to limit that some people will do that some people i've seen people that will do things that by agreeing to work for me in this practice you 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 cannot be in practice within five miles of this location afterwards i see people do that i'm not a big fan of that um for one it's a hard thing to enforce at least where i live and work mm -hmm. um, but it's also i don't think a good you you want to let people go that you you particularly in this business uh, in mental health you don't want to try to hold on to people that don't want to be there. Uh, I do think there are ways that are important to mitigate it. Um, so for me, in my employment agreement, um, and this is how the practice is structured: the clients belong to the practice, not to the therapist. Okay, do you, you spell that out in the we'll policy? Spell that out in the yeah. employment agreement. That's a policy now. If you're running independent contractors, you can't do that in most places, right. most states. But um, but it's part of how we manage the practice. It's part of where the record, like it all belongs to the practice. Now, that being said, when people will leave, I generally don't have any issues in releasing clients to, because in the end, clients are going to want to typically go with their therapist. And sure. I don't want to, but I have that as a policy more as a protection because I, if I have a situation where somebody leaves and it's a much more acrimonious thing and there may even be um, client well-being considerations, right. I, I, I want to have it spelled out that like these are not your clients. The, they're the clients of the clients practice. Of the practice. Um, and th that's some leverage that in considering of, of where people go. Um, I have a thing as a policy that people can leave. It, it spells out like how people give notice, like they, they give notice of 30 days. And, and I've fluctuated. You know, I don't really like a minimum of 30 days, but at the same point, I considered longer for required notice. But then I also realized that that would be a hard, that would be very burdensome to someone leaving more than 30 days. The, the hospitals I've worked for, anyone with a, a master's degree, level or a manager gave 30 days everybody else was two weeks so yeah and, and 30 days fit. felt yeah i would love three months to to plan but i understand well, it, why someone doesn't want to do that but yeah. <laughs> sure but it also it kind of two weeks i think would be too short for the client oh absolutely to, yeah to figure it out and well, 30 us, days is still tough 30 days is reasonable for us too, because that's our payment cycle is, is we do monthly payment cycles and, but I understand. And as an example, so my wife, she told an employer that she was leaving sooner than she had to. And there was issues with that. Not like hostile work environment, but a practical thing was, you know, she was working as a therapist and. Um, they, they took her off new clients, which I understood why they did that as a practice. It's like, well, why are we going to give you new clients when you're leaving? Right. But she had given significant notice as a consideration. And so in some ways she was penalized for it, which I, I get. And 
But on the other side, I also understand that if someone gave me three months notice, am I going to feed them more clients realizing right. they're yeah. going to? So there's a consideration there. So a month yeah, seems about. Yeah. So, but that's a policy. But one another policy I have is people can leave the practice, assuming everything is above board, people can leave the practice and go on their own if that's what they choose to do. But people can't leave and then hire people away from the practice. Like if you leave, if James is a therapist working for me. Oh, right. I do, yeah. I do have it spelled out that like you can quit and start your own practice, assuming everything else is above board, but you can't recruit anybody else to go with you. And like, there's a thing of like, you are barred from employing or contracting with anyone else that works for the practice. I think I have it for a year. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I want to give people flexibility, but. Part of it is, you know, not wanting to create this bandwagon of mm -hmm. people leave in a trove together. And right. now how enforceable that is, how like, you know, I haven't, fortunately I haven't had to deal with that, but so how do you plan is, you know, what is your agreement and what are you legally allowed to do? If you have contractors versus employees, knowing kind of the employment laws in your state, because there's certain things you may want to do that are not legal to do. Uh, so consult your lawyer. Yeah, consort. Yeah, mm -hmm. and but you you want to have in your policies. You do want to be thinking of what are the things I can do that protect myself, or the the business, but also what is fair and equitable to any employee. What if what if they're not? What if they leave and they don't like finish their billing or their paperwork or their notes or things that they're required to do? Well, we have a policy in place. This is uh, one of our friends inspired this because uh, she was a coworker of ours. She never worked for us, but uh, it was notorious in like her notes getting behind, like really bad. If you've ever worked, if you've worked longer than a year, you know, somebody you can point so we actually have a policy for just this is normal. Like people don't get paid unless their charting's up to date. Okay, and uh, so it's a it's a policy that's not just yeah, not just leave. for the one time event. It's like for the yeah every every month practice. people get paid once a month, and if your charts aren't up to date, uh, then you don't get paid until they are. So if someone left without getting charting done, then they just wouldn't be paid for that um, that pay period until it was completed. Uh, but that's not that's not a termination policy. That's just an internal policy. But again, it's good to have these because I did that just as a form of accountability. And I will say, I do have staff that are oftentimes like the last day of the month are scrambling to mm -hmm. get caught up in their charting. And it can be uh, a tension thing. But most people have given me feedback that they appreciate it as a policy because they like that accountability. Well, it, does, it keeps it. Oh, man. Have you worked with people who didn't do it for months? Or, oh, yeah. Yeah. And and then they, they miss billings. And I, I worked with some psychiatrists who would never do their train, their mandatory, you know, safety trainings. And they yeah. had to take off like two days to catch up. And and also their their notes, they they wouldn't. They they had stacks of charts every every day. To, to finish their notes that were going out of, you know, time for billing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, if, and if you had the policy that kept you up to date in a manageable amount of time, there wouldn't be those days where they had to just stop everything and stop billing. Yeah. Have policies and enforce them, I think. So yeah. that's, I think sometimes people will have policies, but not enforce it. And you create a problem for yourself. Because mm -hmm. because it, it's hard to enforce stuff. Like I, I've I've had to withhold pay from people for a certain time because of maintaining boundaries, and I don't like doing that. No, but it's important to kind of hold to the hold your your line. So one is the policy. Okay. The other thing is, um, a healthy ecosystem has a. What do you, what do you mean by that? Um, mm, it's a good, I was thinking of it as a metaphor, but I'll use, so a healthy environment of a work environment, and I'm going to use an example, like in nature. Okay. But you need inflow and outflow. You need both. So going back to how, like I pictured growing a practice with just inflow and no outflow. But if you look at this in nature and we'll, we'll talk about bodies of water, 
you know, a river typically has the same inflow and outflow. It just keeps on, go, you know, just moving through. But let's say you have a lake. Lakes will have inflows where water's coming in, but they also have outflows, most of them, because you need that for the water to stay vibrant and healthy and fresh. Like, because either, otherwise you end up with like a stagnant bit of water. I'm thinking of like a pond or something like that, but even yeah. in like larger scales, like the Great Salt Lake in the United States has no outflow. It's in this basin in between the, in the, between the Rocky Mountains and Sierra Nevadas and the, you know, in the United States, most rivers and lakes eventually kind of go out into the ocean, but the rivers that make up this basin all go into the Great Salt Lake, which is a beautiful spot, but it's not like thriving with fish because of it's, it's too, and because there's no outflow and what happens, water comes in, it, water evaporates because there's no other way for it to leave. And the mineral and salt content just gets more and more concentrated. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, but for, you need turnover. It's a weird thing to say, but you need turnover and you need a, not only you need to plan for it, you, it needs to happen. Because it's hard to keep a healthy practice unless there's, now you don't want a lot, but you need some mm -hmm. because people will reach a season where it's no longer a fit for whatever, like it could be because their family life has changed. They have different financial needs. We hire in our practice, both pre-licensed and fully licensed people. So people that are working towards their hours for full independent licensure. Because we provide supervision and, and a setting for people to do that. And then we have people who are already licensed. And some people, their journey is they need a place to, to work and, and thrive while they're still getting licensed. And when they get licensed, they want to move on. Now, maybe not immediately after they get licensed, but at some point. And that's not bad. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily a bad boss or running a, a, a practice that isn't good but it's just part of their journey. Maybe they're part of, they're on their own entrepreneurial journey. Or it could be that the vision of what you have for a practice, it could be like treatment oriented. And I'll give an example. Um, I, have a, I have a friend who he runs a very niche practice. He's the co-owner of a practice that specifically does couples EFT, which is a emotionally focused therapy. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a type of therapy and it's a specific clientele. Like they will see non-couples, but that's their focus. That's their niche. And he and I had some discussions several years ago where he was dealing with some turnover, where he, he was needing to encourage somebody on, which is my father, who's a business owner. He talks about blessing people on, which is uh, his term for firing people. But he means it. It's not euphemistically. He does mean it in the idea of like they need to be encouraged in their next thing. And I don't need to hold them back because this is not, this is clearly yeah, not where not, they need to It's be. not good for them to stay because they're not going to be successful where they're at. Yeah. So it's neither good for you or them. But giving the example of my friend, he had some people in the practice that weren't really that EFT, weren't really that niched. And part of his turnover process was it was allow him to really focus in on what sort of practice do we want? This is the sort of work we want to do. This is the sort of clients we want to see. This is the method we want to treat them in. And it allowed him to really refine his brand by having turnover. So you want a back door, but you want a, a larger front door. And so part of my way of managing it is I'm always thinking about recruitment. It doesn't mean I'm always recruiting, mm -hmm. but I had one of my staff just last week come to me, one of my long-term people, and she said, hey, I, I get asked by friends if you're hiring or you're considering things and like, what should I say to them? And my response was, and, and this is my personality, I go, I'm always happy to talk to somebody. Even if we don't have a spot, I'm always happy to talk to somebody, not to lead them on, but I sometimes, because I'm friends with other practice owners, and so I right. like helping direct people. I'm like, well, we're not hiring right now, but sure. you should, you could, should consider these other places. I like being that kind of matchmaker and I like being in that current 
Because when I'm in a place where I'm looking to hire, I've got my ear to the ground enough that I kind of know, and, and people are the communities in the, in the habit of sending people to me. Um, I've learned to get, I've, I've learned to become choosier over time. Uh, I've got some interviews I'm currently looking at. I've already in my mind of people that have reached out to me, ranked them of thought of based on other certain information I have of like, this person seems like a stronger candidate than this person. And I want to have the freedom to say no, not just to that, but to myself to say like, this, this is clearly not a good fit. I need a, I've, as James was saying, I, I'm working on having, I need to have my no more ready early on yeah. and not be too optimistic. I think, uh, this, this, uh, topic of turnover has, opened up some other topics like hiring and we're, we're mostly talking this, this episode about voluntary, voluntary turnover, you know, mm. but there is probably a whole series on non-voluntary. I've turnover. been very, uh, I appreciate that. I've been, I've had the, the, the benefit of, I've not had to let anybody go yeah. as a, therapy practice owner. Now I've, I've let people go in other businesses and I learned some hard lessons in that. I've not had to do that so far. And I, and, and as far as turnover goes, I would like not to have to do that. I don't assume I, it, I need to have a policy. I need to have plans. And, but I feel that, you know, to, to be open in your outflow, I think kind of allows things to naturally happen. And not always. It, people don't always do you that favor. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I, but in the natural turnover, part of growing is, is there's constantly pruning. It's like a tree yeah. or like, a, and that's okay. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't assess your functions as a business leader or a manager or whatever. Like, I don't like receiving negative feedback, but mm. I do want to be open to hear it because there may be wisdom that I need to uh, imbibe and to, to implement. But, uh, but yeah, it's, um, it's a learning process, but yeah, it, it's always going to happen. And so if you're, if you're doing anything on scale, uh, I will say the smaller the practice, the fewer instances of turnover you're likely going to have, but that's just a statistical thing. And as you're, as you're growing, it, it happens. It, it always seemed to happen in stages. We, the, mm -hmm. the, the company we, I was running, we got to a point where we needed to hire people and we had that idea, oh, if I hire people, we can see this many more clients. And then the, you had to develop new things changed and some of the original people, it, it jarred them a little bit. And so. Mm -hmm. Uh, you might lose something or somebody might leave. And then, then you have to go through that mm -hmm. learning process. I remember, you know, the, the company was new. It was a startup. We didn't have any transition policies in place. And uh, I remember just making some really big mistakes uh, with the, the, it was a service industry. So we we're providing virtual assistance for people. And when their virtual assistant left, it was like crisis for the office. Not and and the answer is I'm going to figure it out was not good enough for them, and so there that we learned quickly to um, manage the expectations of practice owners with hey we have this plan in place and we're going to take care of this for you and this is how easy it's going to be and I'm sorry that you know your virtual assistant is moving on but we have this other person who's already trained on your practice and and even further. Then we started having cross training. So even before people got, uh, you know, moved on, the people were cross trained in new practices. And uh, we made people write down all their notes and policies so that we could pick up just what, like you said, with the paperwork stuff, we, we made sure that they had regular meetings with their practices. And so somebody could uh, slide in, not. Mm -hmm not without a disruption, but with minimizing the disruption. 
Because mm-hmm. any change like that is a big disruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it 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 wasn't easy. And the first time we made a lot of mistakes and we 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 made those policies to make it uh smoother. So uh I guess uh what uh what if you don't want to deal with employees? <laughs> what if you what if this feels like too much? Yeah, what uh, if what if you want to do contractors, I guess, and do 1099s instead of W2 employees? Uh what are, what does that do for you? Oh, it's just it's a recent episode, and I realize not everyone's listening to episodes in order and kind of things like that, but one of the things that James and I have talked about recently is um you, you're always gonna have a problem. So mm-hmm. it's deciding which problem you want. Oh and, yeah, I like that. I like that one. Yeah, and you end up with different problems if you don't have people that work for you, if you have a different relationship or kind of things like that. But you also save yourself from certain problems, and so it's just deciding. And um, for, I think if you have contract, I think for group practice owners, here's where I think people get in trouble and will get themselves in trouble more and more long-term. I know practices that run their therapists that work underneath them as independent contractors, but they have a mindset to treat them like employees and uh, um, in tax law sorts of things that gets more difficult in, over time. But it also, you can't have it both ways. One of the reasons I have employees versus independent contractors yeah. is because I want to set policies and culture and things much more directly that I could not in a technical sense legally be allowed to do uh, right. if they were in, if they were independent contractors and the you know the you're going to and and part of when you set policies I'm, I'm this is slightly tangential but it, it's related when you set policies you will create your turnover in some ways by by setting boundaries and limits you'll create kind of where your turnover will go for example for me the way my practice is set up financially for therapists is it uh rewards full-time people because mm-hmm. the more full-time you are the the more money proportionally you keep per hour like what you make per hour is more the more hours you put in a month and, and it also benefits the the practice because you don't have to hire as many people. Mm-hmm. The, the the room is used, you know, the space yeah. is used at a higher level. Like it just, it's an easier, from what I've heard anyways, yeah. you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's just easier to manage one person instead of three partners. I, I find that. So, and that's been yeah. my choice. And so I've created a practice that incentivizes full-time people. Yeah. But what that has meant practically is that, my practice financially is less appealing to people who are less than full-time. And so that's been where I've seen your problem there. Yes. You're choosing your problem. Yeah. Yes. And so where I've experienced more turnover is people that are part-time mm. because they, when they look at their options of part-time with me versus somebody else, there are other options sometimes for them where that the they're less, I don't like the word penalized because it's not, trying to penalize people but i am i am rewarding full-time people more and so what that means is that i'm more inclined my retention is is designed to be higher for full-time people than part-time people i don't want anyone necessarily to be unhappy and leave but i i choose but but i've seen practices that have done the other bit like i i i've seen practices where inadvertently usually that they give they weigh more power to part-time people even Mm. Not not necessarily like truly, but it's they, I, I think of one of my friends who had a practice where they voted on everything, but the part, everyone had an equal vote, whether they were part-time or full-time. And so there was kind of this disproportionate veto power that people with pretty low investment had and it yeah, yeah, hurt yeah. the practice. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, I don't know yeah. about that. Yeah. And, and anyway, but to your, back to your question, James, what happens when you don't want to do this? set your expectations and set like what you're doing. So as a, as a different example, my organization, uh, that does teaching psych maven mm-hmm. is mostly independent contractors. Uh, mm-hmm. I've at this point, 
there are no employees for it. Like there are people that teach that I, that I contracted to, to teach and they get paid as independent contractors. But the benefit I have is I'm not managing them in very, like there's, it's, and it truly is an independent contract where there's expectations of, it's usually them creating a course or some offering. And so there's set things of this is what you deliver. This is what you create. This is how the finances of it will be handled. And it's a very easy exit for both sides. I, I, one of the things I learned over time was initially I tried to make it a little bit more strict in like non-compete sorts of stuff. And I've over time done away with a lot of things. Mm. I used to have a policy that if you did a course for me, you could only teach it for me while you're, while you're in this yeah. and, and not another, like, and right now the only rule I have is that you can't, you can't duplicate the course in another setting. Um, word, word for word or slide word for, for word. slide. Yeah. But at any point you can say you have an out at any point to say like, Hey, I, I, I want to move this course to another platform. Okay. Like I'm not necessarily happy if someone wants to do that, but I've set up my expectation that people can do that at any point. And I've set up the expectation that for me, if I reach a point where I don't want to keep a course going because I feel like it's, it's kind of aged out or it's, it's for any number of reasons that I can say like, Hey, we're, you know, we appreciate the work you've done for this, but you know, we're taking it off our, out of our catalog and everything reverts back to you. I've really made it simple and really try to do it where it incentivizes people to, I, I want to make it financially uh, advantageous for them to be with me, mm -hmm. but I also want to keep it super loose because I enjoy that freedom of if you left, it's not, uh, it's not hugely disruptive. Now, that's a different sort of business. I'm dealing mostly in that case with asynchronous pre-recorded material. Um, it's not an ongoing service like psychotherapy is. Sure. But you might be a place where it's just not, one of the things we talk about in the scaling journey, not all scaling is for all people. And growing group practice is not, you know, it's the, you know, that if, if you don't want to deal with a whole bunch of employees, there are ways for you to scale that don't involve you dealing with a whole yeah. bunch of employees. Which, which uh, reminds me, um, take that builder quiz. It's in the links. Uh, take mm -hmm. the quiz to see where your next stages of scaling your practice is. It doesn't have to be at a team member. It could be something else. And the, t the quiz has lots of tools and tips on um, how to do that. And then some more free resources at the end. So it's a, it's a good thing to do for just exploring what are some of the options out there. Mm -hmm. So David, uh, great conversation on managing turnover. Uh, what is one thing you want people to remember from the episode? You need a back door. You need a like front door and back door. You need inflow and outflow. And you have to have a way, kind of a, a release valve. You have to have a way to allow turnover to, and as James highlighted earlier in the episode, we're not even talking about termination of, of letting people go, but you need to let people who want mm. to move on, move on. Uh, you could have policies to, to help mitigate it, to encourage retention, to protect yourself, and particularly where you have investment in them. But if you try to hold on to people that aren't, it's not good culturally for your practice, yeah. you create more. And ultimately, any, any therapist who doesn't want to work with me, I, 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 that may be hurtful or that may be disappointing, but I need to be able to let them go because that won't, will not be a thriving work relationship for me or for them. And it's, it's almost like the good neighbor policy. You know, mm -hmm. you're, you're a good neighbor to them and they can, uh, if they're in the same town, you're going to be working with each other at some point mm -hmm. with passing customers, uh, back and forth. So be a good neighbor. Great. Uh, my, my one thing is have a plan, yeah. uh, but just recognize your, your, your first time, you're probably not going to have a really good plan. Like if you follow <laughs> some of the advice from this show and from other people, you're going to have something. But there's going to be things that you're just going to be blindsided by. 
like for for me, my mine was just like how much of a crisis it was, even when we had plans for our clients, of how much of a crisis it was it was for them, and I needed to work on like really being specific about what we're doing and how we're managing this to manage their sense of loss. And for for you, you're gonna come up with something you have a plan for, but it's gonna there's gonna be a new wrinkle and you just get better at it. Like we, mm-hmm. our, our exit plan was so robust. It was very robust uh, after three years of learning, taking the lumps that I felt really good when somebody was decides to leave. We had a plan in place for them that we took care of everyone. We took care of the, the, lead, the, the assistant that was leaving. We took care of the clients. We took care of the staff that was taking over. Like, but that didn't happen day one. Day one was a mess. Mm. So uh, just um, just have a plan and just be willing to keep growing as you have that plan. It's going to feel bad, but that's just it's part of the growing process. So that's my uh, my one thing. All right. So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to the podcast. If you wouldn't mind, please like and share it with your friends and review it. Uh, We have four reviews now, and uh, I'll start reading some of those coming up. Uh, This is James Marlin with Dr. David Hall. We'll see you next time. Psych Maven is proud to support the Scaling Therapy Practice podcast. And if you are someone looking for ideas that are tailored to your own personal style, on how to scale and grow your own impact and income as a mental health provider, we hope you might check out our free online assessment. If you go to stp.psychmaven.com, you can take our free personal inventory and find out what your builder type is as a helping professional. This assessment is quick and fun, and it comes with tons of customized resources with your results, so you can discover the best ways to scale that match your own personality. Find the assessment at stp.psychmaven.com. That is stp.psychmaven.com. Have fun with it. One of my favorite cartoons growing up was Garfield the Cat. So in honor of that, I had AI write me the podcast disclaimer as if I was Garfield the Cat. So here we go. Hey there, folks. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I, Garfield the Cat, need to lay down some ground rules. First and foremost, I want to make it clear that I am not a lawyer or an accountant. I'm just a cat who knows a thing or two about lasagna and taking naps. The information presented in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be a substitute for professional legal advice or accounting services. Also, I want to remind you that everyone's experiences and situations are different, and what may work for one person or cat may not work for another. So take what you hear with a grain of salt and use your own judgment when deciding what's best for you. Lastly, I want to emphasize that this podcast is meant to be informative and helpful, but it shouldn't be considered for professional counsel. If you need personalized attention, please seek a lawyer, accountant, or therapist. All right, that's all for now. Now that that's out of the way, let's get back to scaling therapy, eating lasagna, and taking naps. The Scaling Therapy Practice is part of the SciCraft Network.